two weeks from now. Um, so uh, that's just for your information there. So, all right, praise God. Well, let's pray and we'll get into the word tonight then. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for blessing us and speaking to us, Father, granting us privileges and wisdom in your word. Father, we thank you that you lead us and guide us in all truth. You show us things to come. You live big on the inside of us, Father. And Lord, we thank you for these things. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, uh, we're going to look at uh, some scriptures here in the book of uh, Romans. And go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. I was just thinking about faith the other day and how that, you know, if you're going to live a life of faith, uh, the world and even the majority of the church will look at you and call you a fanatic. And from my perspective, when I look at it, to me, it's, it's, not, it's not fanaticism. Uh, it's radical because it's fairly unique in the church, but it's not radical with the Lord. Um, it's just as common and as normal as the Lord uh, for his people to operate by faith uh, as it is for us to breathe air. And so, um, you know, at some point you kind of have to decide in your, in your own heart. Uh, and part of this was because I was listening to uh, uh, Lester Summerall, and he was teaching on some healing classes I wanted to listen to. And he said, you know, this is a controversial subject. Um, and he said, basically, all, all subjects of faith are controversial. Uh, and they're not controversial to the Lord. They're not controversial to me. They're not controversial from the Word of God. But in the church, they're controversial. Uh, you know, how many people do you know have very strong opinions that healing is not for us today? And yet... Can they find any evidence that that is a true statement? Uh, in fact, can they find any evidence that the opposite of that is true, that the Lord has chosen to heal us? Well, the, the, uh, if you just went by the weight of the word of God, it's easy to come to the conclusion that God desires every single person to be healed without exception. And there's never a case where the Lord doesn't want somebody to be healed. Uh, and so um, you, you, at some point, you just have to kind of get it settled in your heart that you're okay if people look at you like you're kind of crazy, you know, um, you, now you're not crazy, but they'll look at you like you're crazy. You know, I can't believe you believe that, you know, and my thinking is I can't believe you don't believe that, you know, how can you not believe a good God wouldn't want to heal you or raise the dead or heal the sick or cleanse the lepers or, you know, part the Red Sea or, you know, walk on water. You know, how could you not believe those things? Why wouldn't you want to believe those things? Um, and so uh, the world will look at you like you're crazy. Much of the church will look at you like crazy. Uh, and I know there is a there is a faction of the church who really are crazy. I mean, they're just kind of super fanaticals and just, you know, God spoke to me and told me, you know, what color toothpaste to use today. And, you know, uh, I mean, they, they, they become a, kind of absurd about things. You know, they act like they don't have a brain and, and they have no desires, you know, and uh, the Lord made us as individuals, you know. Uh, and so uh, normal uh, the way I see it is normal garden variety biblical faith is considered extreme and fanatical uh, in the world and in the church for the most part uh, uh, and that's just kind of basic getting started faith you know uh, that's not even faith you know uh, i mean i don't even know what what great faith is well we know great faith really what when jesus defined it according to the centurion was when you really had the understanding of how faith operates and he understood how faith operated because he understood how authority operated. Uh, and so uh, great faith is when you don't need uh, to, to see evidence of uh, what you're desiring. You just know that it's so, regardless of what the evidence says in front of you. Uh, and so the, it's, uh, uh, I, I had uh, gotten, come to the conclusion many years ago and settled it in my heart many years ago that if people think I'm crazy, but that's their loss, right? It's, uh, I would rather be thought crazy and be in perfect health and perfect peace and perfect soundness of mind and perfect prosperity than to be normal like they are and be sick and diseased and broken, unhappy and, and uh, under pressure and wounded and hurt and all the other normal things that you hear about the church, you know, uh, church people. And so we have the capacity as church people to be the people who are never sick and never sad and never depressed and never overtaken, never overcome, never fail. Uh, full of prosperity, full of healing. That's, that's the, that, that's the uh, goal that is within reach of every Christian. It's not just, well, nobody can live that way. Plenty of people have lived that way for decades in the history of the church. Uh, and so uh, it's just a good, uh, to me, it's a good place to be. I, I love st studying about faith and the word of God and finding out more promises that belong to me every day. Amen. Uh, and so 
I think I told you to turn to Romans chapter 8. So we're continuing our, our uh, teaching on uh, intercession. Uh, and, you know, of all the prayers that we've studied, I believe that intercession is, is the prayer that uh, it's not the hardest prayer. Uh, none of them are really that hard. But uh, uh, it's the prayer that, that you'll get closer to the Lord uh, in intercession because uh, if you remember uh, last week, we studied the example with Abraham and how he interceded for uh, a city. Uh, and the Lord said, because you asked, I won't destroy it. And so if Abraham had never asked, the Lord would have destroyed it, even if there were 50 righteous people found. Because remember, he started with 50 and 40 and 30 and so on and, uh, and, and stopped at five. Um, and the Lord said, if I find five, I won't, I won't uh, destroy it because you've asked. And the Lord was going to stay the execution or stay the judgment of the city because a man asked. And that's the intent of intercession is to stand in a gap when one party refuses to go to God and request repentance or assistance or help. Uh, and uh, somebody's willing to go between that person and the Lord and say, well, this person is not doing their job, not asking for repentance, not asking for forgiveness, not doing their part. I'm going to ask on their behalf that, that you do it, Lord. Uh, and so you really, in order to be a good intercessor, you really have to be a person of mercy who is desirous to extend mercy because, you know, if Abraham had looked at Sodom and Gomorrah like many people in the church do, they, they, he'd have been like, Lord, get them all, burn them up, start today. Well, that's not an intercessor's heart. The intercessor's heart is unless the Lord says, don't pray for them, unless the Lord says there's nothing you can do. Remember, oh, even over in 1 John chapter 5, Paul said, if you see your brother in a fault, pray for him, right? He said, uh, as long as he doesn't sin the sin of the death. And he says, I do not say that you pray for that. So if they do sin a sin of the death, and we talked a little, a little bit about that a while back, but the sin of the death is when they've crossed that line. There's no, it's not set in stone where that line is, but there's a line. And there can be a point when you cross that line, there's no returning from that line. Uh, and, and judgment and, and uh, physical death, sometimes even spiritual death, is the consequence of once you've crossed that line, there's no coming back for that. But until the Lord tells you that they've crossed a line, until the Lord has said there's no coming back. Uh, now, he said there wasn't even a line for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and that should tell us something. If there's not a line, if, if Sodom and Gomorrah ha had the ca capacity to be recovered, even as terrible as they were, right? I mean, uh, even today, when, when you want to discuss who the worst, most vile people in the world, you say, well, they're like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, they're the worst, right? And yet the Lord said there's a there, uh, there is a way that judgment can be stayed on them if a man will ask. Now, Abraham stopped at five. You know, why didn't he go all the way down to one? I don't really know. The Bible didn't say my opinion is he wasn't quite sure if Lot was going to make it at one. You know, and so he stopped at five, hoping the Lord would find five. Well, did the Lord find five? No, he could. He could only find one. Uh, Lot was the only one that made it going uh, to his family. But uh, I think his family made it. Uh, come from the slopover blessing you know there's a lot of slopover blessings that, that occurs in the bible uh, not because somebody's believing god but somebody else is believing god and, and you're next to that guy uh, and so so intercession an intercessor has to be someone who is merciful now you know the, the the problem with mercy is the world wants to define mercy as just overlooking everything and act like nothing bad's ever happening that's not mercy if you go to a court uh you know, if you go as an innocent person and you go to court and you have evidence that you're innocent, you don't need mercy. You want justice. You want the justice that I'm found guilty because the evidence shows that I'm innocent. So you don't need mercy, right? Uh, mercy is, is, is a sovereign act by the judge to extend a pardon to somebody who is otherwise guilty. Now, if you go to court and you are guilty, uh, and it's a minor infraction, you know, you can't get it for a major infraction, but if it's a minor infraction, you could call upon the mercy of the court and say, I am guilty, but I request the court to show mercy upon me and to, and to count me as being innocent and to pardon me in this case, uh, all, uh, although I am guilty. Uh, and so an intercessor is the one who is requesting mercy from the Lord on behalf of whatever is going on there. Uh, and so that's not the only use of intercession for mercy, but it's a big part of it. 
Uh, and so this case here uh, in Romans chapter 8, so this is not a case of mercy. I mean, it is in one sense, but it's not in the case of staying judgment. So part of mercy, part of intercession is uh, used to withhold judgment from somebody. Uh, in this case, let's read here in Romans chapter 8, uh, in verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but, we, but the Spirit itself, or himself, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, and uh, there was a fellow, uh, his name was P.C. Nelson, and uh, he was a great Bible scholar from the days gone by, and, and he said what that's really saying is, with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. Uh, and so it's really talking about the prayer of tongues here, but it's used it in, in a slightly different context. Uh, and so in this case, you know, you're, you're praying for something, but it says the, the Spirit helps our infirmities. Well, what's the infirmity that we have that the Spirit is going to help us with? The infirmity, the word infirmity means weakness, right, or inability. So it doesn't mean sickness and disease. In this case, it's not talking about sickness and disease. It's talking about you have a weakness or an inability to do something. Uh, what's your inability here? The inability is to pray the way that you need to pray for a given circumstance or situation. Uh, and so if you're praying for, you know, a job or you're praying for a loved one or you're praying for something that you don't know the right path that should be taken. So, uh, you know, maybe you're praying for somebody that's in a relationship and they need to get out of that relationship. But, you know, you ever tried to go talk to somebody about being in a wrong relationship? you know, what's their first response usually? Shut up, you know, you know, uh, I love them, you know, whatever. Uh, and are they good for her, you know, or good for him? Well, maybe not, but, you know, sometimes you can't say anything, right? Uh, and, and so, so how do you pray? Well, of course, some, uh, always the Ephesians chapter one prayer is always good that the Lord would give them the spirit of wisdom and understanding that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, amen? And so you know, a lot of times if people could just see clearly, you know, because you get, especially if you're in a relationship, you get all googly-eyed and you can't see nothing, right? Uh, oh, I, you lo I love them, you know, uh, and, um, and they're terrible for you. But, um, uh, and so, so what do you do? You're in a situation, you know that prayer needs to happen, but you don't know how to pray. You've prayed in English as far as you can go. Uh, and, uh, and so what do you do at that point? Well, see, in that case, if you know there's more prayer that needs to be done. So, so it's a little bit different when you just decide, well, I'm going to pray for a while in English and for a little while in, in tongues. This is talking about the situation where you've prayed in English and you've prayed as far as you can go and you know there's further prayer that needs to happen, but you don't know how to get there. You don't know how to get from where you are to where you need to be uh, from a standpoint of prayer. Uh, and so in that case, you're weaker, you're infirmed, or you're unable to do that. And, and so if that's the case, then uh, the Spirit of God in His kindness and mercy uh, will uh, hook up with you and He will intercede or, or make up the gap. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit will do that part is Remember, the intercede means to stand in a gap, right? Make up the hedge. So there's a gap uh, even in your prayer where you're here in English, but you sense there's more that has to get done. Uh, and, and prayer can be a burden in the sense of you can sense that I've got to do something here. There's things that I need to pray about, but I don't know how to pray about it. So that's more than just your uh, kind of normal praying in tongues. And uh, that, that's where the Spirit will come and help you to get you to where you need to be. Uh, and so he's going to help you. So the tongues that you speak uh, in, the, in the situations here in Romans 8.28 are the tongues of intercession, right? The tongues where the Holy Spirit is helping you. Uh, so, so he's doing the interceding, but the interceding that he's doing is he's kind of dragging you across the finish line, right? He, he's carrying you across the finish line to get the job done because the Lord asked us to pray. He didn't ask the Holy Spirit to pray. He asked us to pray. Uh, and so we have to, we're the ones who have to do the praying. He didn't ask the angels to pray. Uh, you know, the God, the Father's not praying. Who would he pray to, right? Now, Jesus is doing some intercession. We, we'll look at that maybe here after a while. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, he's not interceding uh, in the sense of he's just out by himself doing things, but he will come and help you to get the job done. So uh, what, our, what our job is uh, in, this, in this relationship here uh, is as we're praying, we need to stay sensitive to the Spirit of God. We need to stay sensitive that, hey, 
I know, first of all, there's more prayer to be done. So you have to recognize that. Then you have to be able to recognize, I know I can't get the job done. Uh, for some reason, I keep saying words, but they don't seem to carry the power uh, or the weight that I need them to. So you need to recognize that you're infirmed or you're weak or you're unable to accomplish that. And then really the third thing is you have to be willing to yield to the Holy Spirit because he'll hook up with you uh, in those times. But you have to train yourself. And so, you know, these are some areas that a lot of Christians have never visited, right? They just kind of pray and, you know, pray for mom and pray for dad, pray for the saints in China and, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, and we go on, right? Uh, and, and so we don't ever really yield to the Spirit. We don't hook up with the Spirit. And so this is a case where the Spirit of God is wanting to partner with you. He wants to connect with you. Uh, and he wants, to, he wants you, though, to yield to him and allow him to speak uh, these tongues that are inarticulate speech uh, in order to accomplish whatever it is, the goal that's at hand, right? Whatever the prayer goal that you have at hand, amen? Uh, and so, uh, so, so that's, uh, th- this is an area, I think, that, is, that uh, we have left a lot of this on the table where we have not done this as a church, not this particular church per se, but the church as a whole has left a lot of this because the only way you can do this is to be able to speak with other tongues, right? So you can't do this if you're a denominational member who doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit, you know, of course, uh, even some Pentecostal people don't believe that they can get the Holy Spirit right now. They're still tarrying, you know, for 20 years, 30 years down the road, right? They could have had them 20 years ago. Uh, but, uh, but you need to be able to, you need to, be able to uh, have uh, the Holy Spirit hook up with you and then let him flow through you uh, to speak with these tongues in order to accomplish the goal that, that you're unable to get to uh, just in your own natural uh, language there. So does that make sense? Uh, you know, even if you've never done it, you know, because uh, even if you've never done it, if this makes sense, see, then you can work towards getting there and doing that. Say, Lord, I want to do this. I want to be able to do this. And I've done this, you know, many times, just since there's a need to pray. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, I prayed the prayer that I knew to pray. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you have a sense to pray, and you pray whatever you believe you need to pray, and, and, and that's it. That's sufficient, right? But there are other times when you've got to pray, and then, and then it's not enough, and you've you got to move over and, and let the Spirit of God help you with that. Uh, and, you know, some of the folks have been around a while, they'll call that, um, they'll call that uh, praying through. Right? And all they mean by praying through, in the good sense, is you pray through until the job is done. And usually if you'll do that, if you'll stick all the way through to the end, you'll have a sense of relief and a sense of completion in your heart that, okay, I got the job done. I can move on to something else or, or, or do something else, right? Uh, and so, so um, let, let's turn over to Galatians chapter 4 real quick then. You know, uh, just in getting ready for today, I've just been really excited about today's service just because uh, I think if the church can learn how to intercede more and better, uh, I think we'll see a more and better things come about in the church amen uh, and so paul is saying here um, in galatians 4 19 he says my little children of whom i travail in birth again until christ be formed in you now this is this is the same church we're in chapter 4 there if you go back over to chapter 3 verse 1 it says "O foolish galatians who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently sent forth, crucified among you. So uh, uh, he called them, oh, foolish Galatians, right? And we know the history of the church at Galatia. If you were here for the last 12 years, we'd spent about, what, six years or so in the book of Galatians. Uh, and so, uh, but you remember, the, the, the Galatia wasn't a city. It was a province of several cities there. And they had kind of backslid a little bit and started picking up some Jewish uh, ideas. Hey, maybe we need to do some circumcision, you know, maybe some, you know, uh, I don't know if they got as far as, as doing any sacrifices, but they were, you know, doing things like uh, uh, ceremonial cleansing and, and um, circumcision was always a big thing with them. And so uh, Paul uh, here, you know, you, you, can, you can, if you read the whole book of Galatians through, you can just sense and hear the frustration in Paul that, you know, you've gone so far and now you're kind of backing away from faith. You know, uh, what would Paul say about the church today? 
you know, you went so far, now you've w really backed off of faith. Now you're trying to do it by good works and by user-friendly churches and not talking about faith and repentance anymore. Um, and he says, I travail. So one of the things about intercession, again, so, so the Galatians were going good. Now they've become, uh, one translation says, oh, stupid Galatians, right? Uh, and, and so they've gotten dumb, haven't they, right? The church has gotten dumb here in the book of Galatians. And they're not where they need to be. They, they're here. They need to be over here. So Paul is wanting to intercede on their behalf to help them. So sometimes, you know, uh, the, they're not so much in, uh, backsliding from sin. I mean, I understand that, that whatever is not a faith is sin in that regards. But as far as, you know, they're not in adultery, you know, not like the sins that he talked about in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, you know, that, that those types of things. But uh, they're moving away from faith. Uh, and and Paul senses the desire, the need to stand in the gap. And and he travails. And, and the word travail there is, is just talking about the same pain that a, a, a mother experiences in childbirth. Uh, and, um, of course, nowadays you're not allowed to call it a mother because that, that, that implies gender. So you have to say person who has a you know, another creature living on the inside of them or something like that, you know, something dumb, right? Uh, you're not allowed to say that they're a mother, you know, or, or a female uh, because the world has gone stupid, you know? I mean, you could say, oh, stupid world, right? I mean, how dumb can that be, right? You're not allowed to call them a gender. Uh, and so, uh, but there's a mother. So Paul is saying, I'm travailing. Uh, and, and part of intercession is, you know, the, the intensity of prayer that comes along with intercession sometimes can almost hurt i mean there's a there's such a there's such a burden to pray and, and paul uh you know I'm, I'm sure that looking at the galatians he knew there was a small window that he's got to move this this group of people back into faith because if they don't go back into faith they're going to backslide and just become crazy ordinary christians uh, and, and so he senses the urgency and the need and and the the strong desire to get them to where they need to be. So and that's so that's why he said, I, I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. So uh, they're not where they need to be. Uh, he knows they're not where they need to be. He's standing in the gap. Uh, and and he, that burden of of, uh, uh, of prayer is, you know, almost painful. And sometimes you can sense emotions. There are strong emotions sometimes that come along with the urgency of intercession uh, that it's not just, you know, kind of. You know, a lot of our prayers are just kind of non-emotional prayers, right? doesn't mean they're bad, but they're just kind of, you know, Lord, uh, bless so-and-so, speak to so-and-so, remind so-and-so that you love them. You know, they're kind of generic, you know, prayers, and there's nothing wrong with them. I don't believe there's anything wrong with them. But sometimes there's an urgency of travailing of, of prayer that is necessary to get somebody to where they need to be. So this is not just praying the Ephesians prayers. This is going beyond that. Lord, Lord you've got to help them. You know, I'm asking you to help them. Uh, to intervene on their behalf and reveal and speak and show uh, because he knew that if, that, uh, um, uh, that, that if he didn't pray, there's a good chance he would lose the entire province, right? Uh, and they would become, uh, you know, you ever met anybody who's kind of Jewish Christian or they're Christian, but they, you know, uh, in fact, I had somebody come by here, one, uh, not here, but at the other church, uh, and... Uh, he said, um, uh, I believe in the New Testament. Praise God, so do I. He said, but I don't believe in eating bacon. So you don't really believe in the New Testament, right? You believe in the New Testament, and then you want to pull in a few things from the Old Testament, right? Pick and choose, right? Oh, why don't you do a few sacrifices and murder a few mammals? I mean, you know, if you don't believe in bacon, then, you know, you can't just pick and choose the law. You gotta, the Bible says you've got to either do the whole law or do none of the law. You can't just say, I'm going to do part of the law. That, that, that kind of violates the whole principle of the law, right? I mean, you know, the law is the law. And so uh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, 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 Lester Sommerall was talking about a, a story. Uh, it's not got much to do with, with that, except that uh, uh, there, there was a taxi driver uh, in Israel, and he wasn't a religious person. You know, there are non-religious people in Israel, and, and uh so he stopped and picked up this passenger, and, and he was uh, one of those uh, uh, Orthodox Jews, right? So they had uh, the little, uh, I, I'm sure there's names for them. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I don't know the names, but, you know, they had the little curly uh, sideburns on them there, you know, and the hats and, 
and the the whole the whole dress, you know. So they're very orthodox, right? Very, you know, we got to follow the law. Uh, and uh, I mean, you know, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it 100 percent, right? Uh, and so he said, I got to go to Tel Aviv, to Tel Aviv, Israel, right? Uh, and and the guy and the taxi driver, although he wasn't religious, knew knew about the Jewish law. And he said, you can't go to Tel Aviv. He said, that's more than one Sabbath day's journey away. And it's a Sabbath. And so you can't go more than a couple of miles, right, uh, on the Sabbath. I think it's two miles or something like that, you know. Uh, after that, it's considered work. And, uh, you know, you, they're going to stone you, right? So he said, he said, I don't care. I'm not religious. But he said, you're going to violate, you know. Uh, and the guy said, well, he said, you're right uh, that I can only travel uh, two miles or whatever it is, uh, he said. But uh, it, when you when you read the law, it says two miles walking or on land. Never says anything about on the sea. And and the taxi driver, well, that's fine, except I'm not a boat, and there's no rivers between here and there. He goes, yep. He said, but I got a little bottle of water right here, and I'm going to sit on it the whole way, uh, and so I'm going to be on the sea the whole way. Now, that's a loophole right there, right? That's a major loophole right there. I mean, that's somebody who doesn't really want to follow the law but doesn't want to admit that they want to follow the law, right? And so you think that's going to fly with the Lord? Oh, you're on a bottle. It's okay, right? <laughs> it's not going to be okay. Uh, and so uh, so the, uh, we do need to intercede. Now, the Galatians were Christians, right? They are on the way to heaven. They hadn't backslid and forsaken the Lord Jesus per se, right? But they were becoming religious and walking away from faith. How many Christians have become religious and just walked away from faith? You know, they're just kind of doing religious things and check marks and I'm more religious than you. And, uh, you know, I got to where around certain people, you know, people that are not faith people, I don't talk about anything because you can't do anything. You know, uh, you know, I asked a fellow one time at church at work. I said, uh, hey, did you watch the game yesterday? Oh, I don't watch TV. You know, that's of the devil. And I, OK, I mean, I didn't see any 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 devils coming out of these football players you know i mean all i saw was dirt and sweat you know but i mean i don't watch it you know that's of the devil you know I don't, uh, and and okay and i mean you know sometimes people are just just so <laughs> intense you know about things that don't matter right uh, and so uh he said uh we only watch dvds <laughs> that is a that is a bottle you're sitting on going to tel aviv What's the difference between whether it's, it's, I mean, all a DVD is just slow live TV, right? It's just live TV that's slow. I mean, it's somebody put it on a CD and then sent it to somebody, right? Is there any difference between watching it on a DVD? I mean, what if you watch the DVD of a football game? Is there any difference at all? Uh, there's no difference, you know, but, man, he was just intense about it, you know. And, uh, and um, I asked one, some, one person one time, said, uh, hey, you want a diet soda? Oh, I don't put that poison in my body. I'm thinking, well, but I've heard all kinds of poison come out of you in other ways. I mean, you know, all kinds of words of unfaith. And, you know, you just never know when your time's up. You know, God's going to get you. But that's well, a whole lot more poison than a little saccharin or whatever, you know. Uh, I mean, you drink whatever you want. I don't care. You know, none of my business, right? I just was trying to be polite and offer him, you know, diet soda, you know, because, you know, to be honest, I thought he could use a diet soda, you know. But <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I just kind of assumed, you know, that he was always kind of weight conscious. And, uh, and so... Uh, but, you know, he could have just said, uh, no, thank you, right? But, uh, no, you know, I don't put, no, I don't, no, I, you know, I believe in the New Testament. But I don't believe in bacon, you know. Like, have you ever had tried bacon? I mean, you'd backslide tomorrow if you had a slice of bacon, you know. And so you eat all the bacon you want to, don't eat, but I could care less, right? None of my business. But but um, uh, if I don't have New Testament for it, I just, it just ain't a big deal to me. So uh, So let's turn back to the book of Exodus. So there's a couple of examples back here in the Old Testament that are great examples of intercession because, uh, you know, my goal really here is to get you to understand the intensity that's necessary to be a real intercessor because I believe that all Christians can be intercessors because, uh, you know, I know some people are especially used in prayer. Some people are especially used in intercession, and there are prayer teams. I know Brother Randy's got a prayer team. Uh, who are very good at praying, you know, and, and they just love it. They, they really, they're just servants of the Lord, and they have, they have chosen as an act of their will to yield to the need to pray. And they gather together and pray, and 
and are very effective at helping Brother Randy. And I remember uh, uh, Brother Hagen had a group like that. And I remember him talking about, uh, you know, that some of them were older and some of them had passed. And he says, you know, I, I can sense where that prayer uh, uh, is now lacking because those people are gone. And where they're, because uh, we can pray. Remember, Paul said, pray for me, right, that I might speak boldly. Well, if they're not praying for him, that he would speak boldly. You know, he could probably sense that, 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 that need, that help, that assistance that I've requested is no longer there. And so now he's on his own. Uh, and so, so here, uh, here we are. Uh, this is in, in the book of Exodus, chapter 32. Uh, and um, let's start in verse, uh, let's start in verse 7. Well, let's start in verse, uh, let's start in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name uh, Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have lifted up, uh, and I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and a knowledge and all the manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and silver and brass and in cutting stones to let them, to set them in carving of timber to work in all the manner of uh, workmanship. And behold, I have given him uh, uh, Ahaliab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan and the hearts of all that were wise, how did I put wisdom that they may uh, make all that I have commanded uh, thee? And you're probably wondering, what in the world is he reading? I am not in chapter 32, am I? <laughs> I'm thinking it's got to get somewhere along where it's got to got to hook up, right? And it never was hooking up. So, uh, all right. So let's let's go back over then to chapter 32, right? Uh, uh, and um, okay, we can start actually in verse one of chapter 32. That sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Uh, it says, and the, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountains, remember Moses had gone up the mountain, he'd gone for 40 days. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, he, uh, when, they said, when they saw that he was delayed to come down, that was probably, you know, 10, uh, 15 minutes tops, right? It wasn't like 50, to, I don't know how long it was, but, but uh, you know, uh, these people were just terrible people most of the time. Uh, and they said, uh, they gathered the sons together un, unto Aaron and said, up. Make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of Egypt, we want know or we know not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off your, your golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them unto me. And the people did that. And, and so it says, verse 7, When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. They made, well, in verse 4, they made the golden calf. Then in verse 5, he uh, made an altar before it. Uh, and in verse 6, they rose up early and offered this new thing, burnt offerings, right? Uh, and now they've only been out of Egypt for weeks now, right? This is not years. This is weeks. Uh, and so so now, so, so verses 1 through 6 are down, you know, in the valley there somewhere. Verse 7, now you go move back up to the scene where Moses is up on the mountain talking to the Lord. So now, verse 7, the Lord said unto Moses, go get thee down. For thy people, notice the Lord called them thy people, right? <laughs> he's not my people anymore. He's your people. Uh, you ever had that like with, with parents, right? Your child did this. Well, I thought he was our child. Well, not right now. He's your child right now. Uh, this is what the Lord said. He's your people, right? Which, are, uh, which you brought out of the land of Egypt. I thought you brought him, Lord. I was just a messenger, right? And the Lord's like, you know, it's all, this is all on you, Moses. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto. Now, this is after the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have what? No other what? Gods before me. We promise we'll never do that, Lord. And it's like 15 minutes later, oh, go make it. Go make a God right now. You know, I mean, it didn't take them long at all. Uh, made a molten calf and worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make, thee, make of thee a great nation. Now, we've got to temper everything. We're in the New Testament now, right? Did Jesus pay for all the sins of the world? He did, right? So, so these types of things typically don't come like this as quickly as it does because of the work of the Lord Jesus. But uh, the, the primary thing we want to look at is what was Moses's uh, reaction. Now, the deal was the Lord said, I'm going to get rid of all and I'm going to take you. I'm going to make you a great nation. 
Now, if you're going to ever be a person of prayer, number one, you can't have an ego. Uh, because if Moses had the smallest ego at all, he'd be like, go get him, Lord, uh, and make me a great nation. I'm going to walk around, and now we're no longer of the uh, uh, father Abraham. Now we're father Moses, right? So Moses is 400 years after Abraham. But we would have forgotten all about Abraham if the Lord had wiped out the nation of Israel and uh, started again from Moses. So uh, if you have an ego and one who's easily swayed by flattery, you know, you would have taken this deal, right? Uh, and the question for us is, what would you have done? If God made this deal with you, what would you have done? I've asked myself that many times. What would I have done? Lord, make me a deal like this. I can have everything after me. Get rid of all these because you think Moses didn't know these were stiff-necked people? You think Moses didn't know that, that they were so annoying all the time? You know, uh, he did. Uh, and yet, the Lord made that deal with him. And so, what did Moses say? Moses said in verse 11, and, th and there are stories like, the stories like this is why I love Moses. Because uh, I've asked myself many times, what would I do if I was Moses? What would I have done if I was in this situation? Uh, would I have just not said anything? Because if he just said nothing, the Lord would have done it, right? The Lord said, leave me alone. And why did the Lord say that? Because he knew who Moses was. He knew what Moses would do. Uh, don't talk to me. And so did Moses listen to the Lord? Did Moses leave him alone? No, what did he do? Moses besought the Lord his God. So number one, Moses was in complete rebellion to the Lord's commandment. Wasn't he? Didn't the Lord say, leave me alone? Did Moses leave him alone? No. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Moses, I think, learned a lot of this from the stories of Abraham when Abraham interceded from Sodom. And yet Moses is really even more uh, adamant and more uh, at ease with his relationship with the Lord, even than Moses, even than Ab uh, Abraham was. Uh, and the Lord besought the Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does thy wax hot against thy people? So now he's the Lord's people, right? Uh, the Lord said he's Moses' people. Moses said, oh, no, they're your people. So they're two children arguing right here, right? Uh, and so, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Uh, and so, uh, so he, he's interceding on behalf. Now, what are the children of Israel doing? Nothing. Are they repenting? No. Are they asking for forgiveness? No, they're in their sin. In fact, they're excited about their sin, glad about their sin. And so, Moses, one man, there's a couple million people in, in Egypt. There, uh, by this time, there's about a million or so uh, Israelites that came out of Egypt. So you've got a million to one odds it's going to work, right? You've got a million people not asking God for anything. You've got one guy, right? I sought for a man. Uh, and so now were they in sin in the Old Testament? Was it, was it just for the Lord to condemn them here? It was because they're in sin. Sin has to be judged, right? Um, and he said uh, in verse 12, Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out and slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Uh, and he's, so, the Lord, so part of intercession many times is making the case. Uh, one time the Lord said, Plead with me. Uh, uh, in other words, make your case. So what's the case that Moses is making? He said, If you, if you kill all these people right now, Lord, he said, the Egyptians will say you couldn't, you couldn't bring them out. You know, that, that you just brought them out, out of Egypt so you can kill them here in the wilderness. They're, that's what they're going to say. Even if it's not true, it's still what they're going to say about you. Uh, and he said, uh, he said, repent of this evil. He said, remember, Abraham, Isaac, I I Israel, uh, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all, and all this land that I have spoken of, of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Uh, and so uh, part of intercession, if you're intercessioning for somebody that left alone, wrath would fall upon them or judgment would fall upon them. You know, and that can happen to a person, a church, a city, a state, a country. It can happen to, a, to really anywhere that sin is left unchecked, judgment will eventually fall. Amen? Uh, because the, the, the sin has already been paid for by the Lord Jesus, but if you do not receive the work of that payment of the Lord Jesus through repentance, right? because when you got born again, you repented. When you, when you ask for forgiveness, you, you're repenting. Um, then 
that sin still has to be resolved. Now, it should be resolved by pleading the blood of Jesus in the sense that the blood of Jesus was shed for my sins. That's the way that it should be done because it's done, right? You don't have to, uh, I mean, you know, when, when, when 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you for sins. Did it say, make your case? Hey, Lord, you know, I've been really good. I've made two pounds of potato salad this week and, you know, I visited three naked people and two sick people. And I mean, I've done a lot this week, so you got to forgive me. You don't have to do any of that. You say, Lord, see that guy over there, Jesus? Uh, I'm here because of him. And because of the work of the Lord Jesus, he's like, okay, we're good, right? But see, you have to, you have to uh, allow that work that's already paid for that sin to, to come on your behalf in faith. And if you choose not to do that by staying in your sin and not repenting, then an intercession, an intercessor can step in on your behalf. In this case, uh, Moses made the intercession. Now, he didn't say they're wonderful people. You know, they're really good. You know, they didn't really mean it. You know, he was just like, Lord, you know, they're going to talk bad about you. Uh, and then forget them for just a minute. But you remember way back, you promised these guys over here, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did you do these things? So don't forget you did that. And then, you know, and we don't want people talking bad about you either. And, and what, what did the Lord do in verse 14? And the Lord repented of the evil, which he thought to do unto the people. Uh, and so uh, did Moses intercede? He did. Was he successful? He was. Uh, was Moses born again? He was not born again. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he can he can uh, uh, he could be a great example for us. Right. Um, and so let's see. I want to look at this one. Uh, yeah. So we're in, in uh, Exodus. Turn over to the book of Numbers. And this is an interesting uh, this is uh, as much an intercession of action as it is. Uh, it's really a type and a shadow of the Lord Jesus. But it's also good for us to, to look at here, too. So this is number 16. And um, so this is the story where uh, uh, it says in verse 1, it says, Now Korah, the son of, of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, and the sons of Eliab, and, uh, and On, the sons of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. So some of these are the sons of Levi. So uh, what group of people came out of the out of the tribe of Levi? It was the priests, right? And then, uh, so that means Aaron was a of the tribe of Levi, and Moses, because Moses was Aaron's brother, and Miriam was was their sister. So Moses, Aaron, and and, and uh, Miriam were all of the tribe of Levi. And the Lord said, "Okay, out of the tribe of Levi come all the priests, but out of the family of Aaron comes the high priest." Right. So the Lord made a distinction that although Aaron was a Levi. Uh, he's going to uh, call just that family to be the high priest. So the high priests were the ones who went into the holiest of holies. So the regular priests, they did the regular sacrifices, kept the temple and, you know, collected the tithes from the nation uh, and did ministering to the Lord. And then the, the uh, high priest went into the holy of holies once a year. Uh, so, um, so they all had responsibilities, right? Uh, but it says in verse 2, And they rose up before Moses and with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly. Uh, famous in the congregation, men of renown. So this is kind of important because, you know, if these were 250 nobodies, that nobody had ever heard of them, and nobody would follow them anywhere, they weren't leaders, you know, it's not nearly as big of a deal. But when you get leaders that are leading people and they're leading people the wrong way, you know, the Bible says that teachers of, uh, of the word, which I'm a teacher of the word, are under greater condemnation, greater judgment, than people who are not teachers of the word. You know, if you're just listening to the word, being taught, that's great. I'm glad, glad you're listening. Uh, but there's a greater responsibility because I have the capacity to mislead you, right? I could just say a few little things here and there, just kind of turn you off from faith and turn you off from healing and turn you off from, from believing God for any miracles at all. And, and you wouldn't even notice it. You'd be, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. I guess, you know, God doesn't do those things. And uh, There's a lot of things I could say and do. Not that I, I mean, I have no interest in doing that, obviously, but... Now, there's a lot of teachers who stand in the pulpit and mislead the people, say things that, are, that are, they know are not right, but, you know, that's what the prevailing uh, ideas in the church are. So these are princes, right? Famous people of renown. And they gathered themselves together, verse 3, against Moses and against Aaron and said, you take too much upon you. Uh, uh, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then you... Uh, wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the con 
uh, wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So their accusation was, Moses, you took this job on yourself. Like, are you all dumb? I mean, what in the world? You know, you, you, you know the story, right? Where Moses went, you know, out in the wilderness for 40 years. The Lord called him back with spectacular signs and wonders, right? Which should prove that he didn't do it on his own. He didn't call himself, you know. The signs, remember Jesus said that the signs bear witness of him. That he's called of God in John chapter 5. And the signs were bearing witness to the people of Israel and to the people of, of Egypt that God had called Moses and Aaron. So did, did they take too much for themselves or take too much upon themselves? No, they didn't. They, no, they didn't take anything upon themselves. The Lord asked them to do it. And, and then here's the here's the, all the congregation are holy. So what are they saying? We're all equals, right? All of us are called of God. All of us know God, all of us can get revelation. Well, is there some truth to that? There is some truth to that. Do you all have the Holy Ghost? You do have the Holy Ghost. Uh, yeah, and yet, who established the fivefold ministry gifts? The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The head of the church did, the Lord Jesus. Well, why did the head of the church create this position called pastor and teacher to teach and instruct the people of God if the people of God can get everything they need without the pastor teacher, that would kind of be kind of wasteful, right? Unnecessary. And yet how many people in the church today, if you ask them, you know, hey, do you have a pastor? Oh, we don't. You know, I just look up everything I need online anymore. You know, I just just Google it and it tells me everything. I don't you know, I don't need a I don't need a minister. I've got the Holy Ghost. Have you ever heard people say things like that? Uh, what are they saying? Uh, seeing all the congregation are holy. That, I mean, they're saying exactly the same thing that these people in the Old Testament said. And, and did I call myself? Did I decide, you know, I'm going to now have people done that? The people have, right? But I've not called myself. The Lord called me to this role from before the foundation of the world. That doesn't make me better than anybody. It just that's my role, right? I've got my role. You've got your role. We've all got our parts to play. Uh, Moses had his role. Aaron had his role. The people of Israel had their role, right? Uh, and so nobody was taking too much upon themselves. Everybody was doing what they're supposed to be doing. But, you know, jealousy and envy always gets involved, right? Uh, and so they're jealous because Moses is the man. And I want to be the man. Uh, and it's amazing how many people try to overthrow churches. You ever seen that? You know, I remember when my pastor years ago, this, this husband and wife, you know, I think he was even the associate pastor. Uh, this was, you know, probably... 20 years ago or more. Uh, no, it's probably 30 years ago now. Uh, and the wife prophesied to my pastor, said, if you don't give this church to my husband, you're going to die. That's a strong prophecy, right? Thus saith the Lord, you give this church to my husband or you're going to die. Now, apparently they had never met my pastor before. Because he was not one to, I mean, he had a black belt in karate. He was afraid of nobody, you know. Surely not this, this woman here. Uh, and was that the Lord? It wasn't the Lord. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, a, um, a sad but interesting note was decades later, you know, my pastor died in 2007. That same woman, of course, they left the church not long after that and uh, started their own church, you know, somewhere else. Um, she died the same year he did before he did. Now, did the Lord kill her? The Lord didn't kill her. You know, the Lord's not in, in the business of killing people. Uh, but she never repented. She never came to the pastor and repented for what she'd done. You know, she, she left that sin unanswered for decades. And it finally caught up with her. And the devil had his way in her life. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're all holy. Well, you know, uh, uh, you hear many times I tell you, you know, you all get the Holy Ghost. Don't you all have the Holy Ghost? You all, and, and the Holy Ghost in you should always hook up with the Holy Ghost in me. Uh, and as I'm teaching and instructing, the Holy Ghost in you should confirm yes or no that the things I'm saying are of God. You know, hopefully it's, you know, hopefully we're batting pretty high percentage, right? I mean, it's 50-50. You might want to go somewhere else, right? <laughs> if it's only half the things I say are of God, you know, then, okay, maybe you got to go somewhere else. Uh, but hopefully we're doing a little bit better than that. But, but that's the, the part that I have confidence in you that you've got the Holy Ghost in you. I can't mislead you. I can't fool you, right? Now, you can always fool somebody, but you know, um, uh, my desire is that you all have the Holy Ghost to the extent that, that nobody could ever fool you. Um, and so, 
Why, why, wherefore then did you lift yourself up? Lift ye up yourselves. Did they lift themselves up above everybody else? No. Uh, and yet, a small people are always trying to throw, overthrow the church, right? Uh, and, um, you know, we can go on stories and stories. And so what did Moses say? Oh, yeah, you want to step outside and say that? Uh, no. It said Moses heard it. He fell upon his face. I love Moses. What did he do? He prayed. All right. Uh, and, uh, you know, he wasn't going to let his emotions there uh, deal with him. Now, uh, eventually they, his emotions did catch up to him. We'll read that here in a minute. And he spake unto Korah and unto all the company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him who he hath chosen will he cause to come near. Uh, this do you. So Moses saying, okay, well, let's just find out. Let's let the Lord decide, right? That's easy. Let's just let the Lord decide. We'll find out. And he said, take your censers or your fire pans, Korah and all his company, and put fire then and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. And what did he say? You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. So they said, you take too much upon uh, yourself, Moses, which was not true. But these Levites wanted to become the high priest, not just regular priests. They also wanted that they, they aspired to not, not only the high priesthood, but also the position of Moses as a leader of the nation of Israel. And so they were taking too much on themselves, right? They were trying to take a role that didn't belong to them. And people in the church are always trying to take a role that doesn't belong to them. And it just... Uh, and I mean, it's, not, it's always a percentage, right? It's a, you know, these are 250 people plus Korah and a few others, right? So you're talking a tiny little fraction in the whole nation of Israel, but the whole nation of Israel had to stop because of these guys right here. A million people can't do anything because these guys right here. And a lot of times, you know, church, you get one or two people, they can mess up the whole church, cause the entire church to stop moving forward and progressing until that's dealt with, right? Uh, and not, has anything changed? Nothing's changed, right? Same. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and so, uh, and Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that, God of, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself and to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before him, before the congregation to minister to them? He said, Is it a small thing the Lord gave you a job? And you got a job already. But you're acting like it's, it's, it's not good enough for you. And, you know, sometimes in a church, you know, sometimes we act like, you know, well, I'm just a door greeter. I'm just a singer. I'm just a sound man. You know, there's never a just of anything. It's every call of God is is honorable, right, and precious. Uh, and he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also. So they wanted the, the uh, not the, the priesthood here that he's talking about is the high priesthood, Aaron's job, right? Uh, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together uh, against the Lord. And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Aaron hadn't done nothing wrong. Aaron, you know, minding his own business, right? Uh, and, and Moses sent uh, to call Dathan and uh, Abiram, the sons of Eliab. So th they were uh, Levites, which, uh, which said, we will not come up. So Moses wanted to get some of the other priests that were, that were in this company. Hey, you come up here. We're going to have a conversation. And they said, no, we ain't doing it. Now, Moses made the call. You all come up here. I want to talk to you. No, we're not doing it. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine? You know, I told you the story that in 1999, Brother Hagen uh, made the call to several top-shelf ministers, right? If I named you, that you'd know them all, uh, probably. Uh, you know, big wheels in the body of Christ. And he said, I want to have, have a get-together and have a conversation about some things. And um, so a bunch of them went. Some of them said, no, we're not coming. And I just can't. I just... For the, I mean, I just can't imagine if Brother Randy called me and said, hey, I need you to be in Tulsa tomorrow, you know. I mean, unless the earth opens up, you know, how am I not going, right? I mean, you know, you, when the senior minister calls you up, you go, right? Uh, not that we don't, I don't worship Brother Randy, but he's still my senior in the Lord, and I don't worship Moses, but if I got the call from Moses, yes, sir, how can I help you, right? Uh, and so... Uh, he said in verse 14, Moreover, thou hast not brought us unto the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So this was their response, right? They're, they're, they're thinking they're going to, uh, they're thinking Moses was setting them up, right? Uh, we're not going to come up because you're going you're gonna to poke, poke our eyes out. Well, this made Moses mad. It was one of the few times you ever find Moses mad. He was mad. 
He said, just come up. He didn't say, come up or else. He said, come up. And we ain't coming up. So Moses was wroth and said unto the Lord, respect not thou their offering. <laughs> this is tough right there. You know, now he's not going to them. He's talking to the Lord directly. Lord, when they come bring the offering, don't even acknowledge it. I mean, you don't want, you don't ever want Moses to pray that. Because remember before he said, Lord, don't kill them all. Now he's like, hey, uh, when they come with their offering, don't act like it never came, right? Uh, that's tough right there, right? Uh, and he says, respect now. He said, I'm not taking one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Now, the Lord knew that, and Moses knew that, but he was upset. Uh, he ain't done nothing to nobody. And if you look at the whole history of Moses, he never did anything to anybody. From the time that he was called back from out of the, uh, out of the wilderness, the backside of the mountain there, um, till the, to his last breath, on it, he never did anything to hurt anybody. And yet they're accusing him of, of, of all kinds of things here. Uh, and so, what time we got? Oh, we're, we're about out of time, so we have to pick this up next week. I love this story because it's just such a great story, right? And there's so many things in here we can learn from. Now, you know, you've got to be careful because... A lot of times, uh, I know a lot of ministers will use a lot of the story of Moses and try to place themselves as a type of Moses to the church. Well, number one, that's not an accurate type and shadow. I'm not the Moses of this congregation. Because number one, everything that the people of Israel got, they got through Moses, right? You've got the Holy Ghost. You pray for yourself. I don't need to pray for you. I mean, you know, as far as just your day-to-day prayers, you're perfectly capable of doing that yourself. So uh, Moses is a type of Jesus. Do, do we get everything from Jesus? We do. So Moses is a type of Jesus. In fact, Moses said, there will arise a prophet like unto me. The more accurate model is Joshua. So after Moses came, rose up Joshua, Joshua brought him into the promised land. They all got their own inheritance. They all had to deal with their own property, their own things. And, and Joshua kind of just oversaw everything. Uh, and so Everything they got didn't come through Moses. He or didn't come through Joshua after the promised land, uh, after they arrived in the promised land. Uh, that's a more accurate, although, you know, you can't take it to the extreme, but that's a more accurate model of the type and shadow of the Old Testament. But some ministers like to act like I'm Moses and you've got to shut up and just do, do, do what you're told because you don't have the Holy Ghost in you and there's no way you can know anything. Well, that's not an accurate model, right? Because you do have the Holy Ghost. And if I tell you something that's not biblical, the Holy Ghost in you should say, I ain't doing that. And you rightfully should say you're not doing that. You're, you're on no obligation to do anything I say unless it's in the Word of God. Amen. Uh, and so uh, that's why I can request that we have a work day. But I can't demand, you know, shut up, come and work at the church. I don't have any book, chapter, and verse for that, do I? Right. Uh, you know, I know we're servants, you know, but but we're all servants. I'm a servant just like you are when it comes to that kind of stuff. So. So we'll pick this up. Uh, here in uh, verse 16, because uh, I think there, there's so many things that are going on in this and, and so many good, good things to learn, both what to do and what not to do. You know, I think it'd be helpful for us to, to go over some of these things. Amen. Because uh, I just love this story. The whole the whole thing is, is a great uh, story and things we can learn uh, from in our own lives. Amen. Because we're trying to get to the intercession that's occurring. This is a story of intercession, like all the other stories of intercession we've been looking at. And this is a, a great example here. Uh, and but leading up to that, you know, the journey on this one is very valuable to, before we get there. Amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the prayer of intercession, Father, that in the times when we pray and we sense, uh, Father, that there's even more to pray, that your spirit will help our infirmities, our inability to pray. And Father, he'll hook up with us and get us across the finish line in, in the goal of, of praying for whatever it is that you that you've desired for us to pray about. And so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you, Father, that intercession can be made on behalf of those who just refuse to follow your will and follow your plan. We can stand in the gap and make up the hedge. But Father, uh, help us to be people of mercy, to see uh, what needs to happen, Father, and yet uh, pray for mercy. So, Father, we thank you that you'll do that. You'll help us. And we give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this evening's offering. One of the things I meant to say about mercy as Jared comes to receive the offering that, that I forget to mention is, you know, mercy is, who is mercy for? 
It's for the guilty, right? So mercy is for the guilty. So come ahead, Mr. Jared, receive the offering. Um, so mercy is for the guilty. So you have to have the capacity to see someone's guilt but not stand in judgment over them. Right? You have to have the capacity to see someone's guilt and yet desire mercy on their behalf. And that takes a lot of grace and love on our part, right? Because a lot of times when we see guilt, our first response is, Lord, get them and their cat and one of their dogs, you know, maybe just, you know, take one leg out or something, you know. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we, when we see guilt, we desire judgment. And uh, the, the problem with that mentality is, are we the judge? Who's the judge? God's the judge, right? If God's the judge, then we leave it in his hands. We pray for mercy because we are in, unqualified to judge it's not our role, not our ability, not our capacity to do that. But we do have the capacity to pray for mercy. So we pray for mercy because, number one, we're not qualified to be judges, right? In fact, what I say about myself, I say, I'm nobody's judge. Well, don't you think God I'm no one's judge. No, I'm, not, I'm not anybody's judge. I'm not going to be anybody's judge because that means I step in the place of the Lord. So, uh, so if you see guilt, which, you know, sometimes we do. Sometimes, you know, uh, you can't help but see the guilt. Um, just make sure that you don't jump into the position of judge. That's God's job. Our job is to stand between the judge and the guilt. That's the job of the intercessor, right? Uh, and so uh, if you see guilt, that's fine, right? Uh, but, you know, some people, all they see is guilt. And if all you ever see guilt is, you're probably not seeing guilt. You're just, you know, uh, being a gossip or whatever, right? I mean, if everybody is always wrong about everything except for you, then you're not really seeing guilt. You're just, you know hi-hat and everybody right but uh but intercession is going to be driven by people of mercy amen uh and so uh don't forget friday night prayer and then um uh the next thing after that will be the ladies fellowship on the 11th there and um so we'll see you friday night at 7 p.m what oh yeah there's there's uh what uh, 27 pounds of okra and uh a uh there's there's like a uh a nuclear power plant uh uh yellow squash in there too right so i don't think it's radioactive but it's really big like it was radioactive right so uh so there's some veggies back there help yourself to those and uh, we'll see you all on friday